myself. I served my country and fell in love with me. Travel the world being all I could be. God showed me here is where I'd be. Well, hello and welcome to Women Veterans Social Justice Network. I'm your host, Bridgette McCoy. I'm the CEO and founder of Women Veterans Social Justice Network, and we're here on Heroes Media Group today. Today, we have the wonderful opportunity to be talking with Dan, Daniel Roberts. He is the CEO. He is a consultant. He's a nonprofit founder, and he's also uh, currently serving in the military. Thank you so much for... a uh, meeting with us today and having this this recorded discussion, a lot of times women veteran are surprised when we have a male counter, military counterpart on the show, but nine times out of ten it's because they're doing such great work in the community supporting women veterans. So thank you so much for uh, being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's been an amazing couple of months. Um, there's a lot that we're working on behind the scenes. We'll get to that in a minute. But we really want to know, um, like, what your military experience is. Why you even decided to go in the military? So I first joined the military way back in 1989, and I really joined the Army just for adventure. I was living in Colorado at the time. I wanted to to go out and make my mark in the world, so to speak. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to have adventures, and so... The military, you know, was that outlet for me. I had wanted to be in the military since I was, you know, a teenager. And so as soon as I graduated high school, um, in fact, three days after I graduated high school, I was at Fort Benning, Georgia for infantry basic and basic training and then went to airborne school after that. So I really you know, join the army just to jump out of airplanes and uh, do cool stuff and travel around the world. And it wasn't that I wasn't patriotic, but at that time, 1989, you know, we weren't at war per se. So it was just really about kind of being, you know, wild and getting out of the house and doing something cool is what I originally joined for. Wow. And so for the listeners, um, that was the Cold War era, is what we recall it was called, because that was during the time that I served, and this was pre-Gulf War era, uh, and mm-hmm. so there there was no uh, Gulf War. We were uh, pretty much peacekeeping across um, mm-hmm. all of the sectors. So that's an interesting time to have been in the military. Um, and so, what was your primary MOS? And so I was eleven Bravo, which is. Rifleman, you know, infantry, basic instrument. And I did that for 10 years. I really enjoyed it for the most part. At some point, I kind of became bored with it and kind of wanted to really um, do something different with my life. I wanted to, you know, have a life of significance in a sense that was true to myself. In 1993, I spent uh, one night in jail for some incident with my buddies doing some stupid stuff, and that caused me to re-examine my life. And wow. so I began to, I became a serious Bible student. I was, I grew up in the church, but as soon as I joined the army, like I left that alone. So, so I became a serious Bible student, and so by the time I got out in 
2000, after 10 years of service, I really felt a calling to um, make a difference to people, to be a minister. And it's something I had actually kind of felt the stirring for even when I was a young kid, um, going to church and watching the preacher um, do his thing. So, so I, I started to go towards that direction after I left in 2000. Well, that's amazing. I um, I think this is the first time that I've heard someone uh, leave w- like one because those are two different. Pol- those are polar opposites. You're yeah. in the infantry, <laughs> you know, jumping out of planes and and doing all of these kind of hoorah kind of uh, roles, and then to go into chaplaincy. Right. And so that and that so that took a lot of education and training and um and probably winning people over uh because the you <laughs> because your uniform um looks very different now than it did when you were an infantryman, correct? Yeah, so what's interesting about that is that for a lot of chaplains, they're in the army because there's a part of them that wants to be Hua. They want to to do cool stuff and do you know, sort of wild stuff. So there's a part of them that they that they can relate to. They see the combat infantry bags, the wings, and some of them, a lot of chaplains, um, more than you might think, have come from other MLSs, were infantry officers before, engineering officers or whatever, and they felt a calling. Like So my story isn't as uncommon as you might think um, okay. for chaplains. A lot of prior, a lot of them are prior service, especially the men. Um, not so much the women, um, although it does happen. Uh, although we don't have a ton of women chaplains right now, something I hope to help change. But um, a lot of a lot of the men have come from uh, were prior service, um, and some of them were the very few were you know quite elite uh, as far as rangers, special forces, um, and just at some point you know you feel like hey, this is pretty cool and all, but I feel like I can do more for, I think a lot of people, as they kind of get older, you start to feel a draw to be significant in some way, to really make the world a better place in some way. And for a lot of people, that's chaplaincy. Uh, For others, it's other things, medical school, social work, et cetera. But for a lot of people, it's a chaplaincy because, in the military chaplaincy, well, I'll speak for the Army chaplaincy, although other services are similar, is that you still, you have this longing to work with soldiers. You have a loyalty and identity to the military. So you want to be part of that group, but you want to help those people that you fought alongside with, that you work together, that you feel are <clears throat> serving the country. And you want to remain part of that culture, that group. But you want to be have a different role. You want to help those who are serving, uh, who are suffering, or who are experiencing the traumas of deployments and stuff like that. You want to say, I still, I still, I want to be with them, uh, but I want to be there alongside them. And that's sort of what chaplains, many of them, feel that calling. So that's no different than me. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that distinction. I guess in in my estimation, it was 
the fact that you had were so uh, committed in infantry with all of the different tabs and all of the different training, it, it never dawned on me <clears throat> that many of the chaplains didn't come into the military day one as chaplains, but that they um, had changed careers uh, within the military and and that the military actively supported that because in, in the role that I fulfilled, they didn't want you to do anything else other than that role, I guess, you know, right. and so that was it. There was no opportunity otherwise. And it never dawned on me to consider chaplaincy as a as a role, there was there was no one actively, me as a woman serving in the military, there wasn't anyone actively saying here is here are some roles that you could pursue uh, if you wanted to change your your MOS. Right. And it was interesting that you said that earlier. You were talking about the the numbers of women in chaplaincy in the army, and 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 that 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 transitioning from one role to another. It was not the same. So, could you talk a little bit more about that? Because that that was intriguing to me. Yeah. So, um, I, I will say that for most people to to go into the chaplaincy from another branch, or you know, uh, um, whether they're officer or not, many of them were officers before, but up until recently. That basically requires somebody to exit the military, either ETS or resign their commission, go to seminary for four to five years, um, get their master's degree, and apply. So for a lot of people that were, there's very few probably that transitioned without a, a major break where, mm. you know, so so a lot of them, maybe they got out of the military, um because they're going to anyway, and they went to seminary and they thought, you know what, I could still serve as a chaplain, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, some, while they were in, felt that calling and then had the courage to actually leave the military, go get their master's degree, go through all that process. And when you hear chaplain stories, mm-hmm. you know, tell me about your calling, Many of them have, you know, a very, very courageous stories because they had to leave a, leave a, you know, the army where they had a comfortable income, their needs were met and go out there believing, you know, on faith basically that God was going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Now things have changed somewhat in that there are so many online schools that people can get their master's degree while they're still in the army, then apply to be a chaplain and the the army's, well, speaking from a recruiter's end, because I did chaplain recruiting for a little while. Oh, you did? (laughs) Yeah. That's great. (laughs) Um, Okay. The army is basically supportive of that. Occasionally you run to a commander that, that, you know, we'd have to influence a little bit. But for the most part, commanders feel like, you know, chaplains are important that they, even if they're not religious per se, they don't, they support people um, becoming chaplains. And you, and you have a thing where you can apply. If you don't get selected, you're still in the Army. Nothing changes. So it's actually pretty safe 
much safer now. You can do your education online. You can apply if you don't get it. You know, you don't have to worry about it. If you get selected, then, you know, the vast majority of commanders will let that transition happen. And so it is easier now. Um, for women, it's a, it's a different dynamic. And I'll speak to that for a minute, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, please. For women, it's much more difficult, not because the Army doesn't want them, but because the challenges of becoming a woman minister and getting the experience and educate, well, um, women can get the education they need, um, but then getting that experience that qualifies them. Because part of becoming a chaplain, you have to have two two years of full-time ministry experience. So for women, that can be tough to get since most denominations, about half of denominations will endorse women or ordain them, but only about 5% of churches in the United States are led by a woman. You know, so so it's hard for them to get that experience. They can get it through hospital chaplaincy, prison chaplaincy, um, but <clears throat> for, for the Army, that 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 experience at institutional ministry doesn't count for them as much as pastoral experience. So there is some bias sort of built into the system. Um, and but so we've only got about five percent of chaplains in the army are, are women and it's hard to increase those numbers for a whole variety of reasons that um, just make it the other part is women tend to go to seminary um, older at an age older than men, and so they a lot of the times they age out, so to speak, of the army chaplaincy. And so we can get waivers, but it, it's it's hard to get. You have an older woman, not a lot of experience. It just a lot of things are stacked against them. And I've been working working hard to try to change some of that. Um, working closely with chaplain recruiting to, to help improve those. And the current Army Chief of Chaplains um, is very big on increasing all of our diversity as a chaplain corps tremendously. Women, ethnicity, you know, um, really we need to, to fix, change that a lot. And so we are working to change those things, um, but uh, that's sort of the dynamic that's in play right now. I love all of what you just told me because any, anything that I can get behind to uh, work to help change for the betterment of diversity and equity and, and having a more inclusive environment is always something I can sink my teeth in. And I'm sitting here smiling uh, because I'm, I'm going to ask you something, and, and it probably will be funny uh, to our listeners. So you're saying that, Potentially, I could have become a chaplain because I have a degree in theology and pastoral care and counseling and did two years of uh, clinical ministry and in service in the church. So I think that that's funny in one aspect because I never knew that and funny in another aspect because at one point I did consider chaplaincy long before I finished this degree even attempted to do this degree. So I think right. it's interesting that as a woman veteran, 
um, women don't always know what opportunities are out there for us and that there are people fighting for us as women who are in the military to have more opportunities. We don't always hear that part. More times uh, the opposition is what we see and hear up front. <laughs> and and so then there's, there's so then like you said people get out of the military and go on and do other things. Right. And so this is an opportunity uh especially for um Women Veterans Social Justice Network and um working with you and possibly the chaplain uh recruiting to uh create the information that educates you know women cuz some women are in a space where they have the credentialing and the training and the experience, and they're just out of the military, and they're just doing community service and working, right. you know, as a volunteer somewhere. And that would potentially be an opportunity for them to uh, to really reengage in in from from a career aspect in um, ministry and serving the veteran the military community, and also veterans because that because right. our communities intertwine so much. Uh, you know, people are serving and leaving the military and their children are going in and, you know, it's just, it's just a big, a big right. uh, cycle of, of military life. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, mm -hmm. definitely want to have some links, um, that I can share with our uh, listening audience so that they can, uh, find out more because we don't ever know who's listening and, and where they're listening. Right. We're, we have about 10 or 15 different channels that we're, uh, presented on and so, we have people all over the world listening, and uh, this could be the, the defining factor for someone who's, you know, thinking of getting out, but that's something that they want to do, and we, you know, give them the next steps so that they can begin that process. So thank you for sharing that. And so I think it's a good you're welcome. Time. Go ahead. You're going to say something. <laughs> no, I was going to say, yeah, you're welcome. Um, and we don't have to get into the specifics of it, but. You know, there are a number of great programs for chaplain, uh, chaplains, even when women without a lot of experience. The Army Reserve will take women, uh, who have the education, but not the, not, not the experience. So you get a chance to get experience while you're serving in the Army Reserve. And then the Chaplain Canada program, um, is a way for, if you don't have the education yet, if you have bachelor's degree, but not the master's degree, you can serve in the Army Reserve as a chaplain candidate, learn to do while you're going to school, getting your master's degree. So there are, uh, and we can we can get into also. I can send some links and so, but that's just to say you're exactly right for for women who are thinking like I want to serve, I want to help, I want to be. And for my for my money, quite honestly, some of the absolute best chaplains I know that if I really had a problem, I would talk to. They're women. Mm -hmm. Um, there, and because, and this is not stereotyping, I'm just telling you the women I know that are chaplains, and I know a bunch, they're in the military just to really help people, they care about soldiers, they want to serve, and they're less, I think because they're less, in general, in the Army to just be hua, jump out of airplanes, do cool stuff, they're really there just to take care of the soldiers, that's all they want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, they're very uh, kind, compassionate, and that's not I'm not trying to be a gender essentialist, but just basically, um, that's 
that's what they're there for is that they want to, it's not that the men don't men also are compassionate, but for a lot of them too, they, there's a, there's some other motivations in there and, um, doesn't make them bad chaplains, but the women really are there, uh, from my experience to really just take care of soldiers and do whatever they can to help their fellow service members. And that makes her a great chaplain. So. I'm just processing all of that. That's really good stuff. <laughs> yes, we we will definitely have to have a whole nother conversation based on just that, <laughs> where we start from from zero on the call and and just begin right. to have have that conversation and and possibly do another recorded you know uh, discussion for a podcast. That's really Thank interesting you. to me. I've I've not had that much um, insight in that in that aspect. So this is all relatively new and that's that's rare that um someone can come and it's like i'm completely flabbergasted because i have no, no knowledge base on anything that they're talking about so this is very good i'm i'm very intrigued by that so uh so i want to really get into um segue into the work that you're doing um because you mm-hmm. are it's interesting to me that you're currently serving but you're all also managing multiple um business ventures and um standing up a nonprofit that serves women um you know uh service women. And so can you tell us the name of that organization and tell us a little bit about why you decided to start it? You're listening to WVSJ, the Women Veteran Social Justice Network. So it's called the Moral Injury Support Network for Service Women Incorporated. And to to tell you how that came about, I have to go back a little ways, and that's once I started working in the Army Chaplain Corps, and I started to, so I went from 10 years in the infantry, which we didn't work with women anywhere, to being in other kind of units where there are lots of women in them, you know, relatively speaking, uh, as far as military goes, and I developed friendships with them. And uh, they came to me with issues they wanted to talk about and so on. And so what I began to realize, and so I would ask them about, hey, did you, when I talked to them about have you talked to this chaplain and that chaplain, because some of them were not in my units, they had their own chaplains, they would say things like, oh, no, I wouldn't talk to him. Um, or he didn't help me or, or he, you know, he didn't care and things like that. Um, so I sort of began to be really bothered by what I thought was our women are being underserved by the chaplain corps. That was my perspective, my experience, those that I worked with. And I just felt like I really wanted to help in that way. Uh, I, I wanted to, Help the women I was working with um, in a more powerful way than I felt like I was or the chaplain corps was really doing. And around after a couple of years of working in the chaplain corps, I also began to pursue my PhD and or my doctorate. And for my research, so as I was going through my doctorate program, 
I began to get into feminist research principles, feminist theory, and this kind of thing. And I realized, like, I didn't know this. I'm a feminist. And so <laughs> I began to understand, like, what does it mean and what do, what is, what is good research when you're dealing, when you're trying to tackle women's issues and, and so on. And so I did my dissertation. For my dissertation, I interviewed women who are wounded uh, during overseas deployments, and I interviewed women chaplains. And that sort of began the process of, that sort of began the, the research ventures. And as I conducted more research, I realized I can only do so much to help within the framework of the military because, um, you know, the military has its own goals and objectives, and that's what you spend your time working on, the military's goals and objectives. And that's fine and well and good, but I had – I wanted to help in more ways than I could do just uh, in the military. So then then you and I met, uh, and Christy, one of your uh, great uh, ambassadors and members, met – uh, well, I, I began the conferences to put together the conferences, and then we met that way. And one of the things I realized as we started to work on these conferences and do this work is that I really need to be a nonprofit organization because originally I started as a for-profit group because I was a sole proprietor and I didn't have organ- an organization really. And I realized that non- this is nonprofit work, and right. what I need to do is is start a nonprofit. Um, to get access to the kind of grants and and uh, corporate corporate uh, philanthropy money, et cetera, et cetera, to do it. And I never was interested in profit anyway. I just wasn't about making money. I just wanted to to it takes money to to help people in many ways. So the nonprofit really came out of the need to set my organization up properly to be able to do the kind of work I want to do. And that's the number one important thing that I, that I work in the arena of helping women service women um, have better opportunities in the military to heal from injuries and to change the culture of the military to do better by them and to, and that goes into the opportunity part. They should be able to join the military and and not worry about being harmed by their fellow service members in some way. And they should have the same opportunities for jobs, promotion, and so on. And things have changed for the better for women over the years. So I'm not bashing the military, but we do have some changes we need to continue to make. And Structurally, the, the military is getting after these things in, in many ways. But then, you know, individually and with, with certain people, certain uh, prejudices and things that people bring into the military um, yeah. and, and sort of helping people understand, get educated, and do better by each other, et cetera. Like, there's a lot to unpack there, but basically, you know, those, that's, kind of the things I want to get after. And of course, 
helping veterans who were no longer in the military, they suffered the way they suffered and tremendously oftentimes. But we owe it to them to help them heal and then help the future be brighter for other young women come along. My daughter probably will never serve in the military. She just doesn't have the interest in it. But if she were, I would want to know that she was going to join a military that wasn't going to harm her. Um, right. And so, so we owe it. And then when I, when I do the research and I interview the women, you know, they, they, you know, they, they're telling difficult stories and they often get triggered by telling the stories, but they say, I, I want to do this because if it could help one other, if it could help one young woman who is in the military now or plans to join it in the future, I'm willing to revisit my experiences just to help them. And that's something to be greatly admired because of that, those kind of things, like I can't stop doing whatever I can do to help. Basically, I'm a member, when it comes to the military, I'm a member of the dominant group in nearly every way you slice it. Um, I'm white, I'm male, I'm a sergeant major, I'm highly decorated, etc. So almost any room you put me in, I'm going to be a member of the dominant group. And so as dominant, a dominant group member, like I have a responsibility to make sure that those who are in minority groups, however you want to slice it, whether it's gender, ethnicity, et cetera, et cetera, that they have opportunities that we're, I'm using my dominant position, so to speak, to, to make sure that they can be just as, they have just as good opportunities that they're being taken care of, that they're, that I'm hearing from them and their perspective about what's missing as far as their opportunities and how I can fix that. And if I'm not, so in many ways, my voice carries more or people or other members of my group will listen to my voice more than maybe others. And so it's important that I'm speaking for those folks that aren't members of the dominant group. That's a very power, powerful um, point. Women Veteran Social Justice Network has a, a thing that we call it, call it extending influence. Most people know it as being as sponsoring um, in the business sector. Um, and they're basically the same thing. It's, it's getting in the door or having space in a having space somewhere and pulling this, a chair out for someone or opening the door for them to be able to come in or presenting them in that space so that they have <clears throat> influence because of your influence. And so those those are very important things that our allies um, in the community need to do um, because sometimes people perceive themselves as allies <clears throat> at while they are making opportunities for themselves to do things and have space and have their voice heard, um, and they're doing it on behalf of a marginalized group. Um, but it is an exceptional thing to have someone who recognizes that that space uh, needs to, to have a voice of that that group that is marginalized or doesn't have um, as much access as um, as they do. And so I really appreciate you um, making sure that uh, you, you share that because your heart for philanthropy 
is very important. Anyone that we have in our on our uh, podcast, we are always wanting to make sure that they are someone who is a philanthropist. You we do business, have great things out there that you're doing, but at your core, um, it's about service le- servant leadership. And so, I, and I know that that's something for for a chaplain uh, that is a big area of what you know um, where you all your your motivation motivating factors are. And so, right. definitely appreciate that. So, tell us a little bit. Well, tell us a lot about the conferences because this is a major thing that you've launched um, for um, you're launching a nonprofit. You're <laughs> having conferences. You're bringing chaplains and women of military service and veteran together in one space for the discussion about moral injury. And so I said it as a question um, because I want you to, to tell us what moral injury is and to tell us about these, uh, these, these wonderful events that will be taking place all across the country. <coughs> Yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things I realized, in, it's one thing to try to speak for minority groups. A lot of people say they do that or try to do that. But in order to really do that, you have to be educated by those minority groups. You have to understand uh, from their perspective what their needs are, what they're faced with, what their challenges are, what their experiences are. And so... <clears throat> the the conferences are an effort to get after that in relation to the issue of moral injury. So moral injury is something that happens to you when your your sort of worldview, uh, your sense of perspective about how the world should work or is supposed to work gets shattered be- because of some injury you suffer um, or, or some experience you have that's very traumatic um, and when you're morally injured it's very difficult to process that experience in a way that fits with your old worldview and you can or you have a difficult expanding your worldview to accept that new experience so okay my way of example if I joined the military and for a lot of women they join the military for a variety of reasons, um, for to find a, a job, to get some education, educational money, to learn a skill, uh, whatever it is. And they join a military that promises, uh, you know, the, the military is the most respected organization in America. So they join this incredibly expected organization uh, of patriotism, loyalty, or, or desire to to make themselves better, have a better opportunity for themselves. Mm-hmm. And then, this is not true for everybody, but experience a sexual assault. And it's like, mm-hmm. this is not supposed to happen in the military. In fact, we got this training that it's not supposed to happen. And sexual assault is so damaging and traumatic. It's, it's, it's such a high level of betrayal that it really, you know, fractures them emotionally, uh, mentally, and and they really have a hard time. Like this gets at their core of their of who they are as a person, and it really, really um, is difficult 
to work through. And often they spend years and years and years trying to work through this. And the moral injury part is that, wait a minute, this organization is supposed to take care of me. These people are supposed to look after me. These, my fellow military person, my fellow soldiers or service members or sailors or airmen or Marines, they're supposed to be on my side. They're supposed to, we're supposed to look out for each other. And yet I just got harmed by them, um, in a very, very traumatic way. So, so how do I cope with this? What, this is not the world that, you know, the way the world's supposed to work, so to speak. And so that in essence is moral injury for women, of course, be a lot of other things, not just sexual assault. It can be hazing. It can be disrespect. You know, I've talked to women, they're, they're officers, but, but I had enlisted or sergeants saying, I don't care what you say. I don't care if you, what you, what rank you have. You're a woman. I'm not going to listen to you and just, you know, ignore them. So, so that's, that's sort of the context of moral injury and, what I wanted to do with these conferences is educate folks like myself. So the conferences, the goal of the conferences are a couple of things. One, I want to give women veterans a voice to tell their stories to folks like myself, chaplains, civilian clergy who are working with them in a spiritual way or want to work with veterans spiritually and really help them understand here's what moral injury for women means and here's the things they go to and here's how important it is that we take some action on this and that we we try to understand how can we help women experience post-traumatic growth um, by using our skills and experiences and knowledge as spiritual care providers soul healers, et cetera. Um, but I also want to bring um, women together. And I know there are a lot of different ways that women come together, but I still there, there are still a lot of women veterans out there that are very isolated and they're dealing with these things on their own. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're experiencing homelessness and joblessness and suicidal ideations and sometimes drug abuse because they're out there on their own. There's nobody just really hugging them and holding them and, and helping them work through these things. And so the conferences are a way to, to try to bring all these folks together and say, like, how can we work together? How can we work to fill in the gaps in your soul care? Um, what do we need to educate chaplains on? So a lot of it is about having conversations about how can we, in a spiritual care and a mental health arena, work together with veterans to uh, get after what they need, and also how can we work together with each other to put our our, our forces together to to get after those things, and then how can we influence the greater sort of military culture and the communities uh, on these issues so that we're not leaving women behind? 
and we we decided we wanted to do uh, at least I my goal is to do them as regional conferences so that the people that are in those meetings are also the people that are in that same community. So after the conference, they can continue collaborative relationships. They can continue soul care relationships um, because they're at least in the region. They're at least, mm-hmm. you know, somewhat near each other geographically. I don't, I didn't want to have a big national conference. People come together. Oh, that's very nice. We should do this. And then, you know, I go back to North Carolina where I live and somebody else goes back to San Diego and somebody else goes back to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Then it, it really doesn't have uh, the effect we're looking for. Of course, technology helps us shorten those geographical barriers, but still, you know, community, um, physical community is important too. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the idea of the conferences. So tell us where the conferences will be held and give us um, the information on how listeners can find the information um, to register for the conference. So right now we have two conferences scheduled. One is March 26th and 27th in Charleston, South Carolina. And we picked Charleston. I picked Charleston because uh, it's a great little city to go to and it's, somewhat near a number of military installations. So there's a lot of military installations within an hour or two of Charleston, and that's March 26th and 27th. And then the second conference is in Richmond, Virginia, May 14th and 15th. And uh, the event in Charleston is at the College of Charleston. We're partnering with that university they're providing some great resources and space for us to use. It's going to be really neat um, at a really affordable price. And in Richmond, Virginia, also the Virginia Commonwealth University in downtown Richmond. So these universities are partnering with us, and we want to because we want to keep the cost of this as low as possible, so that veterans can come. And, you know, it's going to cost a little just because, um, you know, there are logistics logistics to figure out. But we wanted to make it as inexpensive as possible so that, it, you know, it wasn't just for women veterans who had money or, or clergy who had money. It was for everybody to have a chance. So to find out more about the conferences, you can go to my website. That's chaplainconsultants.com. There's a page on there that uh, if you click on the products menu, there's a, a page that tells you all the details about the conference and how you can register. And also there are opportunities for people to do donations, to, to sponsor a luncheon, or to provide a donation to help some women come to the event in memory of a veteran. So there's a lot of different ways to contribute, even if you can't make it. Um, we'll always take some funding or sponsorship or donations, anything to help keep the cost low so that um, people aren't making decisions to come or not come based solely on, on whether they have the dollars or not. It's a low registration fee. Right now you can register for $30 to attend. After January 15th, it'll be $50. 
But again, that, that takes care of two lunches, a program book. So that's a, a very good price. I'd love to do it for free. Uh, we're not there yet. Um, I hope yeah, we have to get some good sponsors, I mean, to support yeah. it. So there might be some listeners yeah. who are uh, philanthropists who say, you know, I donate thousands of dollars to organizations that I don't get to see where the, you know, what they're doing. And this actually falls right in line with what I'm, you know, want to support. And so they may be willing to do that. Uh, congregations, um, we've had some really mm-hmm. great opportunities that congregate, whole congregations have come together to support programs and services that we offer. So this, this to our listening audience, whomever, wherever, this is an opportunity for you to, you know, especially at the end of the year, to support an organization. Uh, you know, Women Veterans Social Justice Network is uh, partnering so that with missions so that we can, uh, you know, bring these, these, these services and resources and educate uh, the next generation of leaders to support the next generation of leaders. So uh, this would be a great opportunity for anyone who's interested in sponsoring, um, whether it's at your, through your corporation, because sometimes organizations uh, do a matching uh, program through their through the organization. So um, I just forgive me for jumping in there, but I felt like this no, is the perfect absolutely. time to talk about that because it's uh, it, it is important that that folks really. Um, Give where their heart is, uh, especially women, uh, women veteran, women military. There are some women military who have no problem financially, and they could absolutely support ten or fifteen people, uh, particip- you know, to participate. Right. Um, so, three hundred dollars is their 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 uh, Starbucks budget <laughs> for the quarter. Right. So you know uh, that would be a great. Thing to do to be able to sponsor, you know, ten of your um, service women or ten veteran to be able to uh, participate. So, just wanted to put that out there. Um, definitely go to the website. Definitely go to the Facebook page. Uh, tell us that Facebook page uh, address as well. Yeah. So, on Facebook, you can you can just go on Facebook and search Moral Injuries Support Network for Service Women Incorporated, mm-hmm. and It'll, it'll come right up, and it's got information about the conference on there, too. And so um, as a uh, sergeant major in the Army, um, could you give our listening audience um, just words of encouragement? Because, again, we don't know who's listening, and your voice may be the voice that, you know, breaks a chain or unlocks them from isolation um, because they never heard a man of your stature in the military speak anything positive into their life <clears throat> to, for you know for direction for leadership mentorship or anything and 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 that I feel is 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 another area of more injury but um, do you have any? Any words that you, you know, final words or um, information or anything that you would like to share? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think in the military we tend to be very focused on objective goals, and there's a lot of emphasis on physical fitness, and which is which is not necessarily a bad thing, and accomplishing certain 
you know, badges and all that stuff. So that's good for encouragement, but oftentimes it becomes a point where our entire being, I've often felt in the military that my total sum being was looked at like based on um, numbers on a spreadsheet and so on. You know, so dehumanizing me, um, and it's only what I can put in my records, the accomplishments I have that matter. And so if you're not a person that is highly accomplished, you don't matter. And so that's not really true, um, that there are a lot of people in the military, myself included, who really do care about you as a person and do really do care about what you can do more than just whether you can, how many push-ups, sit-ups, and so on you can do. And there are a lot of people fighting in the military uh, for to make it better and to change culture and to um, be a better organization. Mm-hmm. And so it can be difficult, and you can often feel alone, whether you're in the military or a veteran, because you're, if you're in the military, you feel alone because maybe you're not a high achiever, a high accomplisher, so, so you don't matter as much. Um, and if you're a veteran, you may feel like, well, I did all this great stuff in the army, but now in the civilian world, they don't care about those things. And so I don't matter or I'm hurting from my experience in the military. And I will say that there are a lot of people that do care and that are, that are trying to help and that there is, I think it's very important. The most important thing we can do for ourselves is to find our inner core, find our, actually, I would say to find who I really am as a person, who I really want to be as a person mm-hmm. and work towards that. Um, and that any amount of fear and challenges that you have to overcome to become that who you really, you know, your true self is in the end all worth it. And there are people that can help you along the way. My, my goal is to help people along the way you know, discover who they really are in God if they're religious or in just in their own being. And so there's one lady I interviewed uh, doing my research, and after she told her story to me, just her having herself having the courage mm-hmm. to tell her story and revisit that trauma, something within her, like, came alive. And she contacts me regularly now just to tell me about, hey, this thing happened today. I realized today that I really am worth this and so on. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and her, her whole life has changed because she, she just really is as difficult as it was. She found a way to take little steps towards being her true self. And for me, that was part of my journey. Like, I was successful in the military, but there was part of me that says, I'm not being true to myself. 
and now I am with the the work I'm doing. Um, and so there are a lot of other people out there that I think feel the same, like there's something more they could do. And what I would just say is try to take those baby steps towards being true to yourself and overcoming those challenges and getting all the help you need to do that (laughs) because we can't do it alone. We all have to work together. And just that feeling of, hey, I might have challenges. I may not have the money I want. I might be really, really scared right now. But I'm scared because I'm scared trying to do something that I feel in my heart and soul I need to do and should do. I I feel like there's nothing more powerful than to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm doing what I think I need to do, even if it's just uh, a little bit. I'm, I'm taking that next step to come alive or to be more alive or to, you know, fulfill my, my destiny, so to speak. Well, that's a really great uh, word of encouragement because you gave us context to why, uh, where you were coming from with, with what you were saying. So I definitely appreciate that. And I absolutely appreciate you for coming on, on the, uh, on the show and talking with us uh, about the work that you're doing and about your military experience and sharing, you know, some insight on possibly another uh, route for women to serve um, within the military within the military capacity. So I definitely appreciate you for doing that. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the on the show today. Um, I, You're welcome. Thank you. And so I want to uh, mention our sponsors today. Thank you to our sponsors AARP Georgia, uh, Protect Our Defenders, and the Jimmy Carter Presidential Museum. And also our ambassadors and senior ambassadors and our Facebook community for the support for, for these podcasts. Thank you for making these a reality. And we will, we're looking forward to having more conversations with Dan and talking more about chaplaincy. And so hopefully you'll be able to come on another show. Uh, I know that everyone's schedules are crazy busy, but maybe you'll have another hour to give us to uh, help expand our knowledge of, of the uh, chaplaincy corps, because that's something now that's on my purview. I'm, look, I'm interested. I'm very interested in knowing more, and I'm sure our listening audience is as well. So thank you. You're very welcome. I'd be happy to be on the show again, absolutely. And I do want to thank you for um, partnering with me on these conferences. Uh, you came along uh, at a really, really critical point and have thrown your whole, um, your organization so thrown, uh, into the conferences, greatly supporting them. Um, and uh, I am tremendously, tremendously grateful every day for what you and your ambassadors and your members are doing to support this conference because we actually would not be nearly as far along without you. So I'm grateful for that, and I'd be happy to talk to you again uh, about anything. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm, I, I'm, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And thank you so yeah. much to our listening audience, and we'll be back again next week. God showed me here is where I'd be.